Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Vox Tablet. It's me, Sarah Ivory, your host. Today, what happens when a young gay man and an Orthodox rabbi become friends? According to some interpretations of the Torah, homosexuality is forbidden. That injunction is what makes Rabbi Zuckerman, a frail old man, recoil when he learns that a young friend of his, Benji Steiner, is gay. Their relationship is at the center of a novel called Sweet Like Sugar. The novel's by Wayne Hoffman, and Wayne is the managing editor of Tablet Magazine. In addition to his work here at Tablet, Wayne also finds time to write fiction, and as you can see, his day-to-day job at a Jewish organization has crept into his creative process. Well, we spoke with Wayne last summer about his book, and today we're reprising that interview as a way to celebrate the fact that tonight Wayne will receive the prestigious Stonewall Book Award from the American Library Association. From our archive, here's our conversation with Wayne Hoffman. Enjoy. Now, this is not your first novel, but it marks a departure for you insofar as this novel really takes on religion in a way that your first book, which is called Hard, did not. In this book, in Sweet Like Sugar, we've got a 20-something protagonist named Benji Steiner. He grew up conservative in the suburbs of Washington. He doesn't do that much Jewishly now. Instead, what he's really preoccupied with is going out to clubs. He's looking for love. He's building his business. What would you say is Benji's relationship to being Jewish at the start of the novel? I think for Benji, being Jewish is part of his past. It's part of his family. It's part of his core identity. But it's not so much an active part of his everyday life. Uh, It's not that he is in denial about being Jewish, far from it, or that he's tried to escape from his roots. It's just that being Jewish isn't something that he needs to pay attention to on a daily basis, or that's where he is when the novel starts. He forms his friendship with this rabbi, Rabbi Zuckerman, and Rabbi Zuckerman runs a Judaica shop in the strip mall where Benji has his private office. He works as a web designer. What draws Benji to Rabbi Zuckerman? Well, the thing that happens first is that Rabbi Zuckerman is actually drawn to Benji indirectly because uh, during a particularly hot summer day, the rabbi is exhausted and is about to collapse. And Benji's office, which is right behind the bookstore, happens to have a sofa in it, and he uses the sofa to lie down. So that's the first time they really have any sort of physical face-to-face contact. I think what draws Benji to the rabbi on a psychological and ongoing level is uh, a feeling that the rabbi represents the kind of grandfatherly figure that he hasn't had since he was a small child. He's an older person who listens sometimes (laughs) – talks a lot, uh, and yet isn't particularly judgmental, which is something that Benji had in his grandfather when he was very young, something he remembers fondly, but his grandfather died when Benji was quite little. I think he's also initially surprised to find that for an Orthodox rabbi, Rabbi Zuckerman is fairly open-minded, and Benji has not had a lot of that experience in dealing with Jewish authority figures. Throughout the novel, you've included these standalone chapters that recount very tender and often very raw scenes from Benji's childhood. There's one that I found uh, really poignant that takes place during a visit that Benji makes to his grandparents in southern Florida when he was a kid. Would you describe what happened in that scene for our listeners? We're talking about spring break. Uh, Benji is in junior high and goes down on spring break to visit his grandmother. His grandfather has already died. His grandmother is quite ill with cancer. 
and he and his parents go down to stay with her. Now, Benji is young enough that he still has to go with his parents to visit grandma for spring break, and he's old enough to know that there are more fun things he could be doing if he were only a year or two older. While he's down there on spring break, Kurt Cobain dies, and this is something that doesn't register in a Florida retirement village. It's something that only barely registers for Benji's parents. I just want to stop you for one quick moment and say for anyone who doesn't know who Kurt Cobain is, he was the lead singer of Nirvana, a very seminal rock figure in the early 90s, and he died in 1994. Go on. That's right. <laughs> um, I forget. Not everyone knows who Kurt Cobain was. My own parents would have would have looked at me and said, who is that again? Uh, so Kurt Cobain dies. He he kills himself. And Benji is wanting to to share in, in this mourning and this loss, except he's in exactly the wrong place to do it. He's staying with grandma on a fold-out couch in Florida, and no one even knows who Kurt Cobain was. And he he meets a one other teenager who's also visiting a grandparent in the same complex at night in the parking lot. And they share a, a strange and sort of sudden connection over the loss of Cobain. And this loss and this shared mourning, uh, complete with lots of expletives and a joint and smoking in a car with the tape deck turned up, turns into a quite awkward, semi-erotic scene of these two teenage boys skinny dipping in a senior citizen complex pool. Uh, and Benji, who's coming to terms with the fact that he's gay, is sort of stuck uh, right at the point of connection. Where he, he's he's made a connection in this most unlikely of places, only to find that he hits a wall uh, when they come to really bear themselves literally and get into the pool that he's reached the limit of how far he can go, how far he's ready to go in terms of making connections with other men. These flashback scenes that you have in the novel, they're very moving and evocative. I wonder if any of them are based in your own experience. Um, some of them have nothing whatsoever to do with anything that happened to me. Some of them have a grain in them of something that happened to me or to someone I know, but they've been recontextualized. The endings have changed. Details have changed. There are a couple that really do come out of my own uh, personal experience. And one uh, out of my own experience took place at a summer camp where in the book, Benji, who's roughly bar mitzvah age at this point, is in a bunk filled with boys, some of whom, as you'd find in any bunk filled with 13-year-old boys, some of whom already look like they're 16 or 17. They have their mustaches, their you know, almost six feet tall, they have deep voices, they've already had their growth spurts, and others look like they're little kids. This is what it's like when you're in a bunk filled with 13-year-olds. Um, Sounds like a nightmare. It, already. It, <laughs> I can't begin to tell you what a nightmare it was. Uh, I mean, I, like Benji, was fortunate enough to be somewhere in the middle of that range, so I was never the tallest or the shortest in the group. Nonetheless, it was always an awkward group. In this strange motley collection of teenage boys, there's a sort of bully who teases everyone at some point during the summer, uh, clowning around the bunk after lights out when the counselors are gone and the kids are supposed to be asleep. But of course they aren't. If you've ever been to sleepaway camp, you know exactly what I mean. And this one kid uh, taunts people in the nude, typically running around and waving his privates in their faces, making fun of them, farting on them to great laughs. And at one point, Benji is being taunted and to shut this clown up, he reaches out and grabs the clown's penis, which in fact does shut him up <laughs> briefly, but also leads to a whole round of repercussions in terms of 
uh, more taunting accusations of him being the fag. No, the other guy is the fag. Maybe you're both fags. Maybe it was a joke. Maybe it wasn't a joke. What did it all mean? All these things come raining down quite quickly. Uh, um, that piece comes almost entirely out of my own life, something that happened to me at sleepaway camp when I was 13. What made you decide to have these freestanding vignettes throughout the novel? What I wanted to do in terms of Benji uh, was try to explain how he got to where he is. How did his connection to being Jewish get severed or altered in the process of him coming to terms with himself as a gay man? Because those two things happened uh, simultaneously or in overlapping ways as he got older. And it takes quite a while for Benji, as I think is true for a lot of us, it takes a while for him to figure out exactly how to be Jewish in a way that feels authentic to him. And it's particularly challenging for him because for so many years, he's been told by other people, authority figures, parents, siblings, classmates, bullies, whoever it was, uh, that he was doing it wrong. He wasn't doing it right because he's gay or he, were, he wasn't doing it right regardless? Uh, at different points, different things. Once he's, a, once he's a teenager and once he's at college, he's quote unquote not doing it right because he's gay and you can't be gay. Uh, but even before then, politically, you had people on one side saying, well, you didn't take the, the right political positions around Israel. You're too far to the left. You're too far to the right. You don't keep kosher, then you're not really Jewish. You say you keep kosher, you don't keep kosher enough. You go to synagogue, you don't go to the right synagogue. You go to synagogue, you don't go often enough. There's always someone all along the way who had told him what you're doing is not sufficient and what you're doing isn't, uh, isn't good enough. And after 20 years of hearing that, he – walked away. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that he, he decided to deny being Jewish. It's that he decided that there wasn't a place for him in the Jewish community. I wonder if your tenure at Jewish organizations, working for Next Book, working for The Forward, uh, is in some way a manifestation of your own trying to struggle your identities and, you know, sort of be Jewish. Absolutely. Uh, like Benji, in real life, I had walked away from a lot of the Jewish upbringing that I had uh, as a child and a teenager growing up in Maryland in a fairly observant conservative household. Uh, I mean, we went to synagogue every week. We observed all the holidays. We kept kosher. I went to, went to Hebrew school three times a week. I can't believe it for about 1,012 years. <laughs> uh, and, and like Benji, when I went to college, I walked away and said, I'm not interested. Goodbye. It took a while to figure out that there were pieces uh, of my Jewish background that I was actually interested in keeping. Um, what kind of pieces? Excuse me. Uh, the pieces that started had to do with specific rituals that I'd always liked, in particular ones that were done at home, taking back things like the Seder. When I've run my family Seder, which is an extended family Seder for 25 people. I've run that for the past – 25 years, um, lighting candles for Hanukkah, making a Rosh Hashanah dinner, these things bit by bit. Then it was a matter of getting interested in things like Jewish literature, Jewish culture, politics I was always interested in. That was never a problem. I never gave up politics. Um, so I, I always had some kind of connection and then gradually took back more and more and more of it. And as an adult going to work in the Jewish world really for as a, I'd been a journalist since I was just out of college um, 
applying that to the Jewish subjects that interest, interested me seemed like sort of a natural fit. And once I did that, I found that I didn't have to leave the gay man in me behind, at least where I was at the forward and now at, at next book. It's it's not an issue. First of all, I'm not the only gay person in the office. I wasn't the only in the office at the forward. Uh, and it was never, never a conflict. But I didn't know that until I got there. Let's talk for a moment about your first novel. It's called Hard, and it's a lot more graphic sexually than Sweet Like Sugar. It's also a lot more political. Yes. It looks like gay life in the West Village in New York in the late 1990s. How similar or different was the experience of writing these two novels? The process is, was remarkably similar. Um, the biggest difference is that Hard was the first novel I wrote. It's also the first fiction I ever wrote. I've been a journalist for more than 20 years. So I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to write something this big. How do you pace yourself? How long is it going to take? Forget the horrible questions that hang over you for years like, when I'm done, will anyone want to read it? Or did I just waste two years of my life or three years of my life or four years? <laughs> um, so by the time I got to this one, I at least knew how to do it in terms of process. In terms of content – the real leap was that hard came much more out of my own experiences. And I don't mean to say that it was autobiographical, but I mean to say that I drew on a lot of things that had actually happened, either things that happened to me, things that happened around me, things that happened to people I knew, or just things that were in the news. Uh, I was dealing with a very specific topical subject in a very specific place and time. There was a turning point in the AIDS crisis uh, in the mid to late 90s that had a huge impact on how gay men in particular related to life, illness, sex, politics, activism, relationships, and we didn't know it. It was It is only clear in retrospect when that moment was, and we didn't know it at the time, uh, and it was an incredibly difficult time. But so I, I had a lot of raw material to draw on for hard with Sweet Like Sugar, no. Uh, this is really created out of whole cloth based on questions that were floating through my head. So it wasn't just a matter of taking what could have been a nonfiction book and turning it into a narrative. Instead, it was actually creating a story out of thin air. What are you working on next? <laughs> I have three things up in the air. We'll see which one lands first. Um, the the one that I think is the next book is set in the Catskills where I live part-time in the Catskill Mountains in the Borscht Belt. There's another part of my Jewish identity I decided to reclaim. <laughs> um, and it's a, a story of the changes that, are, that happen in a small town in the mountains uh, and how, how people are drawn together and also torn apart along lines of class, age, religion, sexual identity – uh, and it's told from the perspective of five different people, some of whom are local, some of whom are weekenders, some of whom are gay, some of whom are Jewish, some of whom are not, some are men, some are women. That's what I'm working on now. Uh, we'll see if that's what I actually get to finish next. It's it's hard to tell. You have to get to the point where you start writing and the scenes start telling you where they're going and tell you what you've done wrong and what you plan that can't possibly happen. It sounds good. I look forward to reading it. Wayne Hoffman, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thrilled to be here. 
Wayne Hoffman is the author of two novels, Hard and Sweet Like Sugar, winner of the 2012 Stonewall Book Award, for which we once again congratulate him, Mazel Tov. Now I've got a question, an important one, and I want you to listen. What is your favorite Jewish thing to do in the summertime? And I know that you're thinking, what does that mean, your favorite Jewish thing to do? Well, we leave it to you to define that. It could be that you have certain Jewish summer reading that you like to undertake. You might have some kind of Jewish ritual you like to do in the summer. Maybe it's a particular movie you like to see or a certain drink that you associate with Jewish culture in your family. Whatever it is, tell us about it. You can email us at podcast at tabletmag.com. We're asking specifically for an upcoming segment, so we definitely want your responses. Vox Tablet is produced by Julie Subrin. I'm your host, Sarah Ivory. Thank you so much for listening. Please join us again next time.